Welcome to Slam the Gavel. My name is Marianne Petrie. I'm your host. We're here to talk about family court issues, and I have here a very special guest, Michelle McDonald. She has been nominated for the Minnesota Supreme Court. Since 1987, Ms. McDonald has managed her own law and mediation firm and spent 22 years as adjunct Hennepin County Family Court referee and small claims conciliation court judge. She's at www.mcdonaldlawfirm.com. McDonald also founded Family Innocence, a nonprofit dedicated to keeping families out of court, resolving conflicts and injustices peacefully. That can be found at www.familyinnocence.com. Attorney McDonald's experiences have led her to believe that eradicating judicial corruption should be the highest priority for an elected official. And quotes, if elected to the Minnesota Supreme Court, I pledge to eradicate judicial corruption, ensure judicial integrity, and restore our rights to access to the courts, due process, and a fair trial as required under the Constitution, the law and the rule of the law. Courts need to be places where people can speak and be heard without fear. If a person feels heard, they are more apt to accept a decision. And this is what Attorney McDonald has said on filing. This past year, Attorney McDonald developed and taught a restorative justice circle mediation training. This is designed to restore relationships of all kinds through use of restorative circles to include, in quotes, be still, quotes, moments listening exercises, a talking piece, and a peacemaking dialogue facilitated by a co-facilitator and an advocate team with agreed actions at the close of each session. In quotes, in the restorative circle, all participants can speak one-on-one until they are fully heard, not just words, but the meaning. In quotes, the Superior Court's Alternative Dispute Resolution Judicial Branch certified Attorney McDonald's course for 46 credits for family law facilitative and domestic abuse issues training. Those are in quotes. The inaugural class of 24 graduated January 1st, 2020 as a qualified restorative mediators in dispute resolution a new realm of mediation. And this is wonderful. And what Attorney McDonald has seen in court leads her to believe that the Supreme Court has an obligation to involve itself in community and restorative justice circles and other practices. In quotes, many members of the public do not realize that the Supreme Court does a lot more than issue rulings. In quotes, Attorney McDonald said today, they make the rules and allocate the budget which determines how all our Minnesota courts operate. As an associate judge, I would urge the Minnesota Supreme Court to require more community and restorative justice practices at all levels of Minnesota's court systems, in quote. Now, if you have any questions, you can call Attorney McDonald direct 
and her phone number is 612-554-0932. So how are you doing today, Attorney McDonald? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm very excited to be able to tell you and the world what's really going on in family court. I'm so glad you're here to tell us that. A lot of us have had very many horrible experiences, and I'm sure you've seen those. I should rephrase that. What's really going on in the restorative world, because we are rising up, and actually we're starting to hear more about restorative justice, restorative circles, and these processes have been all over the world for years. I first learned of the process of restorative circles only in, let's see what year was it, 2012. So I established Family Innocence in 2011 and it was established to and dedicated to uh, keeping families out of court and resolving conflicts and injustices peacefully. I established that on March 1, 2011, with many of my clients and other mediators, judges, because we were trying to figure out a way, how do we eradicate the, the damage <laughs> that's being done uh, all over the state of Minnesota, the, the country, and the world with, to, with family court? existence so that was our goal was to to keep families out of court but more importantly my calling at that time about a month before that after litigating families for 25 years I had a calling uh, to abolish court for families in one year so this calling didn't gave me a deadline and I work good with deadlines and it wasn't just do it someday, Michelle. It was do it in a year. So I had to get things going. And that came to me in February of 2011. And on March 1st, 2011, we gathered at my home, again, with mediators, my clients, people who have been affected and impacted by family court who had the same uh, idea that we have to do something about this, whether it's reform, whether, as you say, dismantling, something needs to be done because family court judges are damaging families. And we did that on March 1st, 2011. Uh, we established Family Innocence, and we have met every first of the month since March 1st, 2011, uh, to deal with this. So it is evolving. Uh, I think I, I mentioned to you that my calling was to, uh, my marching orders, if you will, <laughs> from up above, was to abolish court for families in one year. So about a year goes by. We, we developed this family innocence process, and I can tell you more about that. It's, it's over a year, and I'm thinking, gee, I'm not doing it. I, 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 I didn't meet my, your deadline. 
And lo and behold, we did. <laughs> Within one year, we established the family innocence process that all over the country, all over the world, if people participate, and now with the restorative circles, it's even more powerful, they will not have to have court jurisdiction over their families. That's excellent. Um, where were you 10 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> well, this was now. I mean, what are we talking about? Where was I 10 years ago? What was 10 years ago? 2010. I was litigating families. I was a family law attorney. I, uh, my, my law firm uh, with one other partner, uh, I won't even tell you. <laughs> I've said it before. What our annual income was something like a million dollars to litigate families and, and do other things, but primarily that. And when I had this calling, it was at a crossroads. <laughs> Michelle, when somebody comes into your office, are you going to uh, pursue court and uh, deal with the average $11,000 ridiculous amount that's paid for somebody to just get a divorce? That's the average. Or are you going to consult with that person and move them over to family innocence, a different kind of process? So almost every case that came in, and I'm a busy attorney, and still to this day, I'm uh, moving them over to a more restorative process. And it's kind of interesting because many people have been in, you know, come to me and they think, well, she, she's a... Um, uh, because they want to go to court. And I had been known as a fighter. Uh, I was a litigator. I litigated families. I had court trials when, and, and appealed. I had 70 appeals so, so far, over 70 appeals. So it was at that moment, people would be going, oh, you know, I'm just going to go to an attorney because she's really off the wall here saying that we can resolve this without court and those people came back after spending thousands of dollars with another attorney saying Michelle can you please help us I've run out of money <laughs> and ultimately when when they run out of money that's when and the lawyers run out of money that's when they realize the nonsense that they have been arguing about that could have been resolved in another manner. It would be a lot easier for mediation. And I think a lot of parents would like to do mediation. But what do you do if the other co-parent refuses to do that? They're just very difficult to deal with. Right. It's a, it's a good question because when, when I was litigating families, we, there's a requirement of mediation in Minnesota before any type of trial there and that includes families and some would be you just go spend the hour you're you're stuck in your position and so is the other side and you're just kind of doing your duty and you're paying the mediator and paying the attorney to be there and just saying let's go be in and out and you're right, 
because and it's never I'm never gonna say because we have pure family innocence process then we have these hybrids that it's it's never too late to sit down with a restorative circle mediator uh, that uh, family innocence has and resolve differences do you think in all your years of traveling through this and sitting in with a judge with children being sequestered as well while the judge questions them can you tell when the child has been coached mm -hmm. is that well here's you? it's it's deeper than that in minnesota it's very very rare that you can even allow a child to testify so in minnesota they do with permission from the judge through motion can sit in the uh, in the judge's chambers and and question the child and i that setting isn't the proper place a restorative circle setting would be a remarkable place to have everybody sit in a circle and like I say, have a chance to speak and speak until fully heard. And that could be a lot of a lot of talking, a lot of having to sit and listen and try to absorb what is really going on with this person. I see restorative being implemented in any type of conflict situation. In, in particular, the family community. And it's a dialogue process that I learned. I, I think I was mentioning earlier that I went, it was 2012. So we established Family Innocence in 2011. A judge in Minnesota by the name of Bruce Peterson, he's an awesome, phenomenal, he just retired, uh, advocate of out of, you know, let's not have this anymore. <laughs> And I was in a few groups with him, but he actually um, uh, brought uh, uh, somebody by the name of John Miser to one of our big events, Family Innocence. We've had a, we've had some big events, and then we have small events every first of the month. And introduced me to restorative justice circles, restorative circles through Dominic Barter. And he had trained in restorative circles and so had this John Miser 10 years prior to that. So he was, I wanna say, surreptuously implementing restorative circles in his courtroom and his, uh, and he would bring John in and he'd say, go in the room. Uh, and John said, sometimes there would be a panic button underneath the, uh, desk uh, and John would be John's trained in restorative circles he's like no don't need the panic button thank you for offering it and he would have people in a room and Judge Peterson said they would leave the room after a few hours hugging each other fully understanding what 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 went on way in the beginning and he was amazed by this and the restorative circles were developed by Dominic Barter in the Flavelas of Brazil. So I went out and trained with him, just like Judge Peterson did, just like 
John Miser did. He doesn't, he's very, he, he's worldwide. So he had come to Minnesota, I guess, 10 years before this. I found out he was going to be in New York. So I was very excited. And I went to New York in 2012. And there were, uh, at first, a couple hundred people from all over the world listening to him speak. And then we broke away to do our week-long training, morning, noon, and night. People from India, lawyers, mediators, just com common people, doctors, psychologists, uh, and from all walks of life, for all ages. And I brought Dominic, Dominic, thought he was amazing. I brought Benedicta Sambuna, who was a black man from Kenya, Africa, who was my inspiration to really end family court. He's a founding member of Family Innocence. And I brought a couple of others from Family Innocence to learn this process. And we all left in amazement. And I could tell you more about that, but it's a dialogue process. It's a peacemaking dialogue process. So simple, so simple. But we, and like Dominic Barter would say, we all have the flame uh, from, from birth of, of the love and resolving conflict. And as we grow up and get more into the world and have more fear, that flame just uh, is flickering. So we go back to not being afraid and approaching the conflict and having dialogue rather than running away, gossiping, <laughs> getting restraining orders, going to court so or attorneys to uh, really, I call it static, static in the courtroom. It is. It's, uh, it's very stressful in the courtroom. And the position I was in was there was collusion and bias between the judge and the opposing attorney. Mm -hmm. So I could have walked in there with a Hollywood team of attorneys and I still would have lost. Mm -hmm. There was a downhill battle from day one. Mm -hmm. And what, I don't know if you've ever been in a position where a judge and the opposing were BFFs. <laughs> and how do you, we couldn't even recuse the, the judge. What, what do you do with a situation like that as well? In Minnesota, and it's very interesting, I learned this, to recuse a judge, you have to motion the judge you want to recuse. So years ago, that was pretty easy. If a judge in family court, uh, and again, I want to explain in court, I'm not even going to say family court, because in Minnesota, there are only two family courts, Hennepin, County and Ramsey County. All the rest of the courts are courts of general jurisdiction. So we call it family court. It's evolved into family court, but it's a judge making decisions about your civil rights. So uh, we ended up, and I think I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I do that now and again. Uh, I, th I think I was talking about, uh, you said, what do you do to remove a judge? Well, the first step is you go to that judge and say, Your Honor, can you remove me? And 99% of the time they say no. Then you have to, in Minnesota, go to the chief judge. And the chief judge, since 
And I've done this whole process. The chief judge, since the lower court judge is saying no, that he's not, uh, he can be impartial, you have to do a process to go to the appeals court and see what they say about it. And it's it's outrageously complicated. And I started to say back in the 1950s, if a judge had ruled on a temporary motion, like in other words, somebody goes in, uh, wants a temporary motion, there's temporary custody, there's temporary support, those kinds of things. That judge, if you asked him to recuse himself, he would, because he's already biased. Right. What's he having a trial for? He's already made his decision. You don't have a jury in family court, so you're, you're, it's, it's, it's fabricated. It's a lot of it's fake. It's not real life. Uh, We have orders that are not being implemented because the people are like, we don't need support. Oh, we just decided that we're not going to follow the order and, and live our lives. That's what I call family innocence, not being beholden to, to a court order. Obviously, there are guidelines in raising a family. You're going to support your children. I don't think there's anybody out there that has come into my office and, number one, said they, they would not support their children with a home, the basic necessities of life, a good education, and health care, uh, and love and companionship. But what... and what happens is the courts are monetizing that right because that's the best they can do money uh, they don't monetize things while you're raising a family they don't say well here's what your mortgage is going to be and you better pay it or else or you you have to uh, you can't lose a job otherwise you're not supporting your children but this does happen and will take the children away. So support in its purest form, and in the form it was meant to be when we talk about child support way back in the ages, not that long ago actually, when they set up this whole system, is is a home, all the basic necessities of life, an education, Health care, that doesn't mean health insurance. That means if your child skins the knee or you get in a car accident with your child, you're going to bring the child to the proper people to take care of them, the doctors, the emergency rooms, those kinds of things. And love and companionship. So what is missing is we're fighting about all those other things. Right. And we're losing what the children really need. They need the love and companionship of both parents if they want to be involved, mm-hmm. sometimes there is a somebody who's saying, and, and I had another attorney point this out to me because, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to get out of different boxes in the bureaucracy. He said, you know, I don't understand why somebody would pursue somebody for support when the father doesn't even want to be involved. Why are we going after them so that they can talk about how they haven't helped the child for years and years and the child grows up saying your dad, the deadbeat, hasn't paid that court order? What is the point of that? And I used to have clients come in who uh, the father wasn't involved and we'd have a way uh, through family court 
to to and it doesn't happen anymore to just just be able to say you know i'm going to support this child on my own and there's no there's no free money i think a lot of the parents go to I, I, the county and they're looking to give money away because they have so much of it yeah. and what they do is you go this is great you know i had a little rough time rough patch and I got some money from the government. Thank you very much. But then what the government does through this multi-billion dollar system, they have $17.5 billion a year budget one year in, in Minnesota that includes child protection, child support enforcement, all of that is there uh, going after somebody who may not have the money. And they are ruthless. And now I'm just going to say what they do is go, they don't care if you don't have the money. And by they, I mean the system, the prosecutor, maybe the person that's going to the, I call them prosecutors because that's what they are to prosecute for unpaid child support. They do what's called, and they used to do it a long time ago, kind of scattered. They do what's called imputing income. And they will even impute income now to a, a stay-at-home mom who might need some help in, in getting back on her feet or uh, taking care of her children. They, they impute income that you don't have. Right. And now what I've seen is even if you're, I had a case, he was a lawyer. But he decided instead of being a lawyer, he wanted to work um, as a lawyer for a company. And he was making a lesser amount. And I, that other attorney wanted to go in and impute income to him that he didn't have. Imagine this. Somebody pointed this out to me. And again, stop me at any time. I could oh, go You're doing great. Talk. I am like a, when you get me talking about family court and all of my experiences and my clients' experiences, you, 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 Somebody stop me because <laughs> I can talk and talk and talk if you have a question. Because what happens is, and then I lost my train of thought again, but what happens is, imagine this, that if you worked a job and the federal government decided that you could make more money to tax you on. Imagine that. Like they say, you know what? I think you could have made more money. We're going to assess taxes, and you're going to have to pay taxes on a percentage of the income that we think you are going to make. That is what imputing income is all about, and it's evolved to this. It was not this way when I started 33 years ago. What do you do with these judges that continuously – um, put a parent at an earning capacity that they can never achieve. Have you, I'm sure you've come across cases where, like you had said, if a parent loses their job or they've had um, a decreased income for some reason that was out of their control, but the judge is still basing them on an earning capacity that just doesn't exist. Well, there's not much you can do about it in this court culture. It is a debtor's prison. 
Yes. And you think of, oh, debtor's prison. They're not putting people in jail because they're not paying child support. Here's how they do it. So what happened, they have a process and people do go to jail or they're threatened with jail and they come up with the money from whatever source they can, a, a parent, a sources that aren't theirs. And it's, it's extortion. It's, it is extortion. And so here's what they do. And here's what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to convey is what they will do is they, well, I was just talking about somebody who this happened to yesterday. They, if, if you're not paying your child support, they will find you and serve you with papers. And they ask you, we want all of your income, all of your assets, even though they already know what it is. <laughs> you know, you've just been through family court. Uh, it, it, and if you don't show up, and sometimes even if you do show up, and this is for people that aren't paying or can't pay, they will automatically assume that you are in contempt of court. Or if you do show up, they will automatically assume, oh, you're in contempt of a court order. You were supposed to pay, and that's it. Without any ability, you can't even say, I had no ability to pay. I had a little hard time. I had to pay my mortgage. I had to get my kids shoes this month. I mean, all the natural things that happen in, in what I call family innocence. And then the they'll actually, if you don't show up, and sometimes it's court, and sometimes it's just a deposition in an attorney's office, they will do an order to show cause. And then if you, they will also, uh, um, this is how they'll, they'll, get a warrant it's it's not a warrant for your arrest but if you fail to abide by this order to show cause they can actually get a, a warrant and basically put you in jail until the amount is paid so what good are you going to do in jail right what good are you going to do in jail and i hold i wrote a whole brief about this for the minnesota supreme court uh justice justices uh, through family innocence that was uh, talking about debtors prison there was a gentleman his name is larry nelson okay and this is some time ago but i was inspired to write this brief as an amicus brief so they were fighting about uh, they wanted to put him in jail there was a criminal statute at the time that if you didn't criminal it you could at the time, they eradicated that, uh, or they modified it. Sorry, there was a criminal statute for non-payment of support, and it was non-support. So that date, and so that went all went to the Supreme Court, and it did get reversed. So he didn't go to jail. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I guess debtor's prison was eradicated, and I want to say, was it early 1900s? Someone can probably knows better than I, but I think it started in 1833, debtor's prison, and it's just, it's, why is America continuously building prisons when we should be doing mediation like you're talking about? Mm -hmm. And sitting around and discussing, I guess, if you have two mature individuals that want the best for their child. Mm -hmm. And what is wrong with that? I, I don't understand why some parents balk and feel they have to run into a family courtroom. 
I think what it is, Marianne, is that we believe that we have to go to court to get our rights to our children, to get our rights to our property. The court has to give us these. It's not anything you, you have already that just needs to be dealt with. And really, some of these rights are, are fundamental rights that are supported by our constitution, our federal and our state constitutions. So we don't, you, you don't look to the constitution and say, oh, my, give me my rights constitution. That constitution is there to uphold and preserve rights you already have by being born on this earth. You have the right to life and, and to breathe. You have the right to your children to procreate. You have the right to life, liberty, your liberties to, to uh, earn income and to be resourceful and all of that. And happiness, pure happiness. Right. So I think that is the, that is the, the turning point is we have to see it a little bit differently instead of what what's happened is we 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 have this forum this court forum and we have attorneys who are everywhere family law is like the biggest mm -hmm. amount of money i mean the litigators at, for, do us do away with personal injury you want to be a family law attorney <laughs> because there's so many thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in it. What is also concerning a lot of parents is this parental alienation aspect that creeps along through the family court system that mm -hmm. even the family court judges perpetuate. Mm -hmm. I had an order where the judge ordered that I could see my children every other weekend unsupervised, but otherwise no phone contact, iPad, landline, no holidays. Was I allowed to see my child? That is very, very sad. I feel for you. Uh, you and the, I, I'm going to say millions of right. parents out there that are subject to not only agreements that they have, and maybe agreements in writing, but those agreements only in the family realm have to be incorporated into a court order subject to contempt, like we talked about, only in the family realm. Right. Why is that? Because we've, we as attorneys, and oh, we want to make sure we're in control of our future. We'd love to have these orders perpetuate. Oh, he's going to pay me, she's going to pay me so much a month forever. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I don't have any worries. I'll be able to pay this and I pay that. But life is not a, a court order, a do this, do that kind of a, a process. Life is a process where things happen. I mean, I've had processes where they're fighting over a child and the child dies. That's life. They didn't blame the other parent. The child drowned, so they could have, but I think they, that's when they came together and said, oh my goodness, 
what is going on? What are we doing to our children? Right. What, what, the, what are the courts doing to the children? Let me tell you what courts are also doing. They're making somebody like you not be able to talk to them. Mm-hmm. You are being, you can't even tell your children. There's, uh, and it's, it's, it's only because attorneys have agreed to this and everybody kind of goes, okay. And then the judges go, oh, the attorneys agree. So let's sign this order. Disparaging remarks. I mean, think about that. You can't even, in your own home, I could, in my husband, I raised four children. I could just go, oh my God, my, your dad, man, he, he left the toilet seat up again. I mean, is that disparaging or, or, you know, he's, you, he picked you up late for school. How could he do that? Or, and I can't even argue with him. You, you shouldn't be telling our child that. You shouldn't be punishing our child for something like that. This is family life. And and we're trying to put it in a box where we can't let the kids know what's really going on. What I've learned all of these years is the kids know what's really going on. They do. Those beautiful souls that are being raised. And when dad's saying bad things about mom and that's not true, they know. And when mom's saying bad things about mom, and that's not true. They're sitting there going, I, I know that isn't true in my spirit, in my soul. Mommy loves me. Daddy loves me. If that was the case, right? right. Because right. there could be abusive parents. I'm talking about physical abuse, uh, verbal abuse. There could be parents that, so they'll know, hey, mom's right. You know, this time. Uh, uh, it's just a... You don't want to involve the children, but you shouldn't be a robot. And I'll give you one example. I've gotten calls. Okay. My, my, uh, my former husband is at the door drunk. He's saying it's his parenting time. It starts at 5 o'clock today. The court order says that I have to turn him over. He's saying the court order. What, Michelle? Please help me. What do I do? And what am I? You must follow the order. The order says five o'clock. You must turn him over to this drunk driver or if you, if you believe he is drunk. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. Right. They're not, there's no common sense because then that guy is going to drive drunk home, call an attorney or call authorities and and police are, are dealing with things that they shouldn't be dealing with. They never dealt with things like this in the old days. I'll call it the olden days. It was still bad when I first started family law. But uh, doing, let's, let's, I don't even want to call it family law anyway. Let's break up family law. I am tired of that too. Calling something, something that it isn't family law. We have our own little rules and regulations in every family in the country and the world. We have our dinner times. We have our, the schools we like. We have what we want to teach our children. That's the family law. It's unique to each and every family. It's very uh, difficult. Also, I've noticed with, I know these attorneys try to get the parents to do family counseling and co-parent counseling. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that does not work. And the family counseling is very concerning because 
in some of these parents' cases, the parent who has the children on their time will schedule the appointment with the psychologist on their time and not tell the other parent. And how is that family counseling when the other parent isn't even involved? Happens and, all, all the time. Right. And to take it a step further, they're bringing in court orders and transcripts to read to the child. Mm -hmm. And the psychologist is allowing this. Right. These are, these are not, these are fake psychologists. I've dealt with real ones, so I know what a real one is. Yeah. A real one is just like courts. Well, I'm going to counsel and help this family, but I'm not beholden to any court. I'm not beholden to any attorney. That's, that's real family counseling. And that's re the restorative circle. Most of these cases we had actually, when we did our course, we had psychologists there, doctors um, of, of psychologists that did our uh, domestic abuse. They were marvelous. And they were, they're real therapists, not the ones that are being able to be manipulative, manipulative. And they are, they are very easily manipulated by the, I hate to use the word narcissist, but if you are stuck with a parent that's a narcissist, you don't have a prayer, in my opinion. That became the buzzword in 2011. They started to use these psychological i have a list of them these psychohistrionic narcissism uh so sociopath they started to use these labels for people and and then use them to discredit to take custody away to give custody to so I'm not about, I guess, labeling people. Uh, in, the in the restorative circle, and, and I facilitate these with a co-facilitator and we have an advocate, we're facilitating communication to the, to the people that most know each other. I can't involve myself in their dispute without, I'm going to say, just making things more... Uh, uh, raveled up more of a, a tangled web we get them to the point and sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's easy we get them to the point to actually uh, sit there and listen to the other person and parrot back what they're hearing and sometimes what they're hearing is not what the person is trying to convey we only have so many words to convey these things same with a little child they have less words than adults so when they're trying to convey well you know was your mother or father abusive yes they might be thinking about the time they were punished for uh, spanking another child or taking uh, something doing something in the household that was so they don't know, they don't have the words. They just love, mo love their parents. You, and I, I went off track a little bit there, but yes, there is a labeling and in, in circles, we just try to get to the humanity of it, the, the, the connection heart to heart without words. 
without words and we get to it miracles happen sometimes it's in one I can give you a, a time where we brought two people together just in the orientation that we do they went off on a, a vacation together they hadn't talked communicated for come to an understanding and this was a, a mother and her father in a long long time and so we can that's what is happening there's fear there's fear, uh, there's misunderstandings, there's miscommunication. People get stuck in what somebody said. I've heard people get stuck in, I'm divorcing you, you know, and he's, or uh, I'll use a better, better example. I'm not giving you the child, letting you see the child. Mm -hmm. Did you ask? When's the last time you asked? Four years ago. Okay, um, hello. Right. <laughs> this is not communication. He said he was divorcing me, and the guy, I changed my mind. You know, you said it five years ago. We're going forward. I mean, it's it, it, in the in the restorative circle. You get to the we do pre circles first, one on one. So we get to what we call the act. What is going on with the person really that they don't. E the thing that they don't know that's going on with them. A lot of times it's heartbreak. Mm -hmm. It I used to not kind of believe in, oh, something happened a long time ago and, and it's still with you, but that is the case. And, and it's not psychological. It's a factual issue that you believe it is is something that happened when it really didn't happen that way it's your perspective on things right and i've also noticed that sometimes with third party interventions sometimes you could be mediating very well with your ex and co-parenting very well until one of them meets someone else who starts chirping in their ear, go to family court mm -hmm. and think, do, do this, do that. And I think the best thing that I did when I remarried, I told my spouse, I said, I'll handle the kid problems and I want them to like you. I want them to be your friend. So if you have a problem with them, come to me and I will deal with them because they have to treat you with respect as well. And as far as telling me what to do in family court, or I just want to maintain a co-parenting relationship, is to just stay out of it. And I think a lot of parents that need to mediate, when they meet someone new, they have to come up front and say, stay out of this co-parenting relationship. Whether you disagree with it or not, this is working for the kids. Just stay out of it. Well, what we do restoratively is that person can be in the circle. The circle is not limited to uh, the, the two, we'll call them parties, the parents. Here's how, a can I talk a little bit about, and I'll try to be quick. It's, sure, it's a process, sure. it's holistic. There is the pure family innocence process I talked about, and then there's the hybrids. Uh, that we just work into the process but the first step in the process is somebody calls one person and decides they want to start a circle 
So what we do with them is we put them through an orientation. This is the pure. And that orientation uh, includes a what we call pre-circle. So we talk with them up to three hours, really just listening to them. Sometimes the conflict is resolved in that pre-circle. They walk away and go, what was I thinking? This, they, they, they talk them. They're not hearing themselves. Right. They're not in that be still moment where they're, they're, they're emotional and things like that. So that's the first step. And at the end of that pre-circle, we say, would you like to have a circle? And they go, yeah. And then the question is, who needs to be there? So when I first learned this, I watched my first small circle. This was before I went to training and everything, because you can just jump right in, by the way. <laughs> you don't have to have 40 hours of training or a whole week of training. Uh, when once you you learn this, it's it's like again, it's part of your DNA. It's just been lost with all that's happening in the world as you grow up. Who needs to be there? And they might say, I think this the secretary at the school needs to be there. That was that was one the first one I did. And at, and at the meeting outside, I'm like, why didn't you say? Well, that person doesn't have to be there. It's not up to us to decide who needs to be there. We're not second guessing who they think. So then let's say it's three people. Let's say like in your case, it's the, the, the new girlfriend and you say your husband, you might say the secretary of the school. Okay. We write them down. We do, we invite them to do a pre-circle of their own. So we go out and we sit down with the secretary for how long it takes in a pre-circle. And all of this is confidential. And then we sit down with the father in a, in a pre-circle. And then we sit down with the stepmom. Now here's how it gets Larger and larger and larger. The secretary might say, you know, I think the principal should be part of this circle. I want the principal to be in my little realm of circle. Secretary of the school. So, okay, we're writing that down. And the father might say, I think I'd like my, my mother involved. She, she really might understand this situation. Okay. We'll, we'll go out, we'll put your mother down on the list. And then the stepmom, we'll call her, might say, or the anticipated girlfriend, you know, I'm good with who's, who's there. Yeah, that, that's good. But, and, and then it's not a vicious circle. There's a difference, and I can send you the definition of a vicious circle that happens viciously. Within moments, everybody's talking. Everybody, did you do this? That, oh my gosh, they, there's been an arrest. They, they were in family court today and they gave custody to the other person. Oh, she only gets two times a week. She deserves it. No, she doesn't. She doesn't deserve it. It's very structured, yet it is a consent process. That's the beauty of it and that's the detriment of it. That per, first person that call 
can do a circle without anybody else involved. <laughs> I mean, that might sound crazy, but it isn't. What I learned is that if nobody shows up, she can still have what are called substitutes. So usually it's a facilitator that substitutes, and it's, an, it's amazing when you see it, because the substitute isn't saying, it's like a substitute soccer player. They're going to play soccer the way they play soccer, right? They're not going to play exactly like the other person. So we'll do this dialogue process. And when we come to circle, and there's a talking piece involved, so that you get the floor. When you have the talking piece, you, and it's passed around, you get to talk as long as you're holding that piece. And you talk to one person in the room. Sometimes, you know, you're talking to, well, obviously everybody's hearing, and sometimes there are participants that are just observers. And you get to say what you want to say using the talking piece, but the dialogue process can be done with a, and then you, you're saying, you're, you're saying something like, I've been telling them I love them. So I'll give you a great example. This is a true example. I love you, but you are the worst father I have ever known. You are terrible. Those kids and everything, and they go on and on. And by, but, but I love you. I love you. And this person wants to convey love. And when facilitator goes, I'm hearing that you hate me. I'm hearing that you think I'm the worst person ever. I'm hearing that you want to divorce me. I'm hearing, <laughs> they're hearing something that isn't being said. And then he goes back to the person who's trying to convey love. That's not it. That's not what I'm trying to say, but blah, 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 blah. I love you. I love you. I love you. What are you hearing? Hmm. I'm hearing you might like me a little bit. <laughs> I'm hearing that, and sometimes I'm a good father. I'm hearing, so, so it goes back and forth until the human connection is made, and puff, it's like, wow, what have I been hearing? I'll give you an, uh, uh, that wasn't, that was a real example, but I'll give you another real example with children. Let's say you tell your children, you walk into their bedroom and you say, you didn't pick up your shoes. You didn't fold your clothes. What do you, get out of bed. You, you, you got to get up for school. That child isn't hearing you didn't fold your clothes. You didn't pick up your shoes. Get it. They're hearing, mom thinks I'm lazy. Mom thinks I'm a slob. Mom thinks that I'm a terrible kid. Mom hates me. Mom, so, so that might be what they're hearing. Or they might be hearing, oh, yeah, there goes mom again. Yeah, you know, I told her last time why I didn't pick up my shoes. And she just loves me no matter what I do. No matter how many clothes I leave on the floor, my mommy loves me. So this is the hearing part, not the words, but the meaning behind the words. That's ultimately the circle. Two people connecting heart to heart. I wish it could be that way. I wish we have been doing this for the past 20, 30 years. I wish we could have been operating like this. 
and there there are these operations all over the world and even with family innocence I don't want to put it in a box that's why I say there are hybrid family innocences I know that after an orientation I've been uh, people will come back to me and say that was just amazing I learned so much on that and we went on and and it's not a everybody has a lovely moment where they love each other and get back together restorative isn't about getting back together it's it's, it's about and some it, it's about just restoring just think about the conflicts that are in your side of you your children those conflicts for years and years never being resolved with at least giving somebody the riot act right <laughs> that might even be helpful to just say all i want to say is you're this that and the other thing Oh no, you've been muzzled. Uh, uh, and we're all, you know, that's the thing. 99% of people are respectful. They're going to follow the law. That, that's how poor, these poor families got into it to begin with. It's like 33 years ago. Oh, the court has to do our, our, family, our orders. Okay, let's just go. All right, yeah, we agree. Yeah, Your Honor, thank you for the court order. Yep, I'll pay my support. I'll thank you, thank you. <laughs> and then it starts to be attorneys. We want it this way. We want it that way. So we're getting back again to how it should should be, and it shouldn't be. I have people coming to me after the fact, by the way, after they've been to other attorneys and spent uh, money. They say, "Oh, I wish I had had it." Uh, we we but we settled and it only cost me like twelve thousand dollars, Michelle. So yeah, it would have been nice to have you around <laughs> to know about family innocence. But oh, we said, and I'll say that's too much money. That any amount of money is too much. And not that family innocence doesn't charge, but my goal is to raise enough funds, which they're there to be able to pay our facilitators and even our advocates so that anybody anybody whether they're wealthy or poor can come to us anyway by the way but wouldn't it be nice if there was no uh, money was not an obstacle money's an obstacle in court they seem to be able to go there i'm sorry my phone here turn it off yeah, it's this money is the, the whole focus of the whole family court system. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just not, it's not even healthy when the kids know how much money is passing hands. Because when in, in one apparent situation, when they were co-parenting, um, they had agreed on a child support figure. They kept it out of court. They didn't go down to domestic relations. And the father would hand the child the check to give to mom. Mm -hmm. So that was not good because the child was seeing how much poor dad had to pay mom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it was a figure agreed upon by both parents very calmly and um, very harmoniously. But that. I've seen that happen. And. We just have to keep the courts out of it. People do silly, ridiculous things. They want to, and that's about not being heard too. I'm, I feel it was agreed upon, but some, for some reason he's passing it to the child. Maybe he doesn't know the child's looking at the check 
every month. Maybe he's he is complaining to the child that he thinks he's he's paying too much once. <laughs> well, maybe one month he had a hard time. I mean, these are the things that when you get into the forensics, it's it's not generalized like you just mentioned. There's there might have been a reason for it, or maybe the the father saying, God, he must open that envelope every time. I put it in a nice envelope. I never I seal it up. I never I'm sorry about this. I never knew that this was a problem. You never said anything. And or maybe when she did say something, it was, you did it again. Da, 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 da. And and you don't have sometimes you just don't have capacity to hear. And that's when somebody's yelling at you. <laughs> Try yelling at your children starting there. They'll just tune out. Right. And and men tune out faster than women. Women want to engage and come on, we need to talk. Men just Tune it out. We we learn this in I, in the class I taught from the psychologists. There's a difference, and and there we're meant to be in love. <laughs> we're not meant to be in fear. Right. And when you have the family courts infringing and causing fear and uh, sending a parent to debtor's prison because they are in the arrears that were deliberately inflated will say mm -hmm. it does not do the children one bit of good. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I know it has caused an altercation between the child and the parent. Mm -hmm. I've always said, you know, if these judges would look back into the case and find out what has happened to the parent's job. They could adjust orders and do things the right way by that whole situation. That's because they shouldn't be involved in the first place. Right. I mean, I'm just saying, no, they can't. There are 5.7 million domestic, I'm sorry about that. I might have to leave the radio show <laughs> or the TV show in a, in a while. But I'll we'll keep it going until um, okay. Yes. Uh, anyway, 5.7 million last I counted domestic orders a year across America. So double that by at least you have two parties. Maybe you have one kid, and we have an epidemic going on where we think that the court system can help families separate right. <laughs> respectfully nicely with with nice neat little packages of here's what your schedule is going to be and here's what your money matters here's how they're going to it's it's a fallacy it, it isn't true it m most of the cases when i when i was when i was doing a lot of this type of work not restoratively although I still have my quite a fair share of pulling people out of court, I call it. There was a, they, I'd say, we're going to do this agreement in court order, and it's just going to be tossed aside, <laughs> you know. The schedule, it doesn't be exactly this, this way. It's, it's guidelines. It's a default schedule we used to talk. And people would just be carry on with their lives. Oh, good, we got a divorce. We got things taken care of. It's not that way anymore. 
We, we want control over how much money we're going to receive, how much money we, we, we can pay. We want control over when we see our children. And I, I, I correct people when they say, I want 50% of my children. I say, you want 100% of your child. And the other parent is 100% parent. You're, we can't split this up. And I've learned, you know, I'm raised Catholic. And there was a, a bishop's secretary told me this. When we were talking about, I'm always talking about family innocence and working with other organizations to implement it. And she said, when, you're, when you get married and have when you get married, you are one. So if the father goes to all the sports, <laughs> sports events and you're home making the meals, he's making the meals and you're at those sporting events, you know? And what happens is that we try to separate that. Like I went to 50 medical appointments. Well, I went to 60 and you weren't there at the 51st one, I was there the time, and it goes, it could go on and on, and again, it's that vicious circle, so we really, it's almost like taking back, and it, it's, it's, it's miracles, but it's many miracles, what you said is, is true, some people just don't want to, because, because they have the form there, if family court, which the courts have been closed in Minnesota, by the way, <laughs> thank you, God, if family court wasn't there, I know how that's going to look. You know, people aren't going there. They're only going there for uh, orders for protection, domestic abuse, restraining orders. That's probably the only reason they should be there anyway, if that's right. really happening. And it's beauteous. I'm like, I hope they never open up for families. I, I agree. And I hear a lot of parents saying, well, if that parent was in contempt, they should go to jail. And my response is, jail is not the answer. <clears throat> if a judge is going to hold a parent in contempt, which I have yet to see, but if they were to do that, mm -hmm. why not find them, say, $1,200? Right. What you want to do when you're, when you're talking to people, and it's really hard because we all have our point of view, is listen to that person. I mean, listen and say, so you think that when somebody doesn't is in contempt, they should go to jail. Jail is that it? And they might say, "Well, yeah, if if they don't pay for several months." Uh, so now I'm hearing that you think if there's a certain amount of time that they haven't paid, they should go to jail. Is that it? Well, yeah, and, and, and really, I think my husband should have gone to jail. <laughs> I mean, and then they'll get to, to the forensic. So what happened, you know, so you think that your husband should have gone to jail. Is that it? Well, you know, Benny couldn't work, so not really at all, kind of. But so what I'm hearing you say now is you don't, you don't think your husband should have gone to jail, but he was teeter-tottering on going to jail, and he ended up, getting back to work is that it uh well yeah i still think you know there should have been some kind of a punishment so that's the dialogue process instead of what what 
is so normal. I'm not faulting anybody. Instead of, here's what I think. <laughs> I <eat> solution. <laughs> Believe me, I have all kinds of solutions I keep right in here. No, that's good to, you know, um, I, I have thought of one solution, then I'll go and think of a better solution. And, and that's, that's growth process. And that's what we all should be doing. And the, solu the solution, the basic solution is do not go there. Do not uh, have a lawsuit with the person that you were used to be intimate with. Don't have a lawsuit because in any lawsuit, when you serve somebody with papers, you're in Minnesota, we have pocket service. So you don't even have to be in court. If some process server comes and serves you with a d divorce petition, you're in the process. You have to answer in 30 days and all of that. So don't go there. Don't, don't litigate your family there. But, but at this point, come to family innocence, call us up. We'll direct you at, at this point. That's the only, there is no other place to go. You, you get served with papers, you're going to court. It's like getting served with small claims court papers or getting served with a lawsuit for personal injury or uh, money owed. There's no place to go. I'm glad where you have this family innocence going. Um, how can people reach family innocence? Do they just call your uh, direct line, the 612-554-0932? No, that's the law firm. We do have a separate line for family innocence. And it, it is on the website prominently displayed, but I, I, I don't, this is another thing I've learned. Don't just direct people to your website. I just don't have the number right in front of me. <laughs> and you know what? I've been passing out so many cards this morning. I'm like, ask, I'm looking for a family innocence card because I'm trying to get the word out about family innocence and also about my campaign for justice. And I wish there were more people like you running for the uh, Supreme Court. Uh, this is very important that we have more people like you that are trying to fix the situation that's so badly broken. Right. right. And I so appreciate your being on my podcast. Mm -hmm. And is there anything else you would like to add? Well, keep on doing what you're doing, Marianne. Get the word out that family court needs to be dismantled. It will be dismantled. I have uh, full faith in, that it will be. be because restorative circles is where families and even uh, courts need to be. We could do court in a different way. Right, right. I agree. Um, I just want to say about my guest, Michelle McDonald with www.familyinnocence.com. Her law firm is www.mcdonaldlawfirm.com and McDonald is spelled M-A-C, capital D-O-N-A-L-D. How else can people reach you? Well, I call me, 612-554-0932. That is any number you call, 
if it's urgent, it gets to, to that number. And I, it's my cell phone right here. Excellent. You've been an excellent guest. I want to thank you, Michelle McDonald, for being on here. And I wish you the best to get into the Supreme Court of Minnesota. And we need more of you. So thank you very much. I appreciate your time here on Slam the Gavel. Thank you. And I'm your host, Marianne Petrie. Thank you very much.